Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Sunday morning uh, Bible study. We are making our way through the book of 1 Peter, and today we come to chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. The title of our lesson is Christian Marriage, uh, the Role of the Wife. Now, if you've been with me the last few Sundays, this is a question that you should probably be able to answer by heart. What is the goal and the purpose of the Christian life. We have been chosen and we have been set apart to proclaim the excellencies of God, according to 1 Peter 2.9, to to show God or to put God on display in our life. And of course, we can do that numerous ways. We can do it with our words. We can do it through our singing. We can do it through writing books. But one of the very best ways we do that is through our conduct. Now, With that in mind, I believe Peter is giving us three real-world examples of what Christianity should look like. Um, You know, he's he's given us three real-world examples of how a Christian should behave in certain situations. And they all have one thing in common, and that is submission to authority. Now, uh, 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 three weeks ago, I believe, or two weeks ago, we started out in verses 13 to 17, and we covered Christian citizenship, how a, uh, a, a Christian should uh, submit, basically, to God-ordained government authority. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we looked at verses 18 through 23, Christian employment, how a, a Christian should submit to those over in authority of it, over them in the workplace, even if they are sometimes treated unjustly. Now today, as we turn to chapter 3, we take up Christian marriage. Now, as I came to today's verses, I found myself with a a choice to make. Uh, Do I just limit my lesson to these six or seven verses uh, this week and next week, or do I look at the bigger picture of of marriage? Now, anyone that knows me knows that I'm obviously going to pick the bigger picture. So we're going to settle in here on these seven verses for the next three weeks. Uh, Today we're going to look at the role of the wife. Uh, Next Sunday we'll look at the role of the husband. And then the Sunday after that we'll look at marriage from God's perspective. Now let's begin by going ahead and reading our verses, verses 1 through 6. It says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, as I've said, all three of these cases or these examples that Paul, uh, I'm sorry, that Peter has given us involve submission. And so if you haven't figured it out by now, Submission is foundational to Christian conduct, but not just in our politics and not just in our work and not just in our marriages. Ephesians 5.21, Paul says this, Submitting to one another 
in the fear of God. Now that, that verse teaches us something very important, that no believer is inherently superior to any other believer. There may be times, and depending on certain situations, where I may need to submit to you. There may be times, depending on other situations, where you may need to submit to me. In our standing before God, we are equal in every way. Galatians 3.28, of course, is the foundational verse on this. It says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, obviously, the Bible knows there's men and women. The Bible understands there are races and ethnicities. The Bible understands that there are uh, differences in economies. There's rich and there's poor. The Bible gets all that. What it's saying is that's not who you are. That's not how you find your worth. That's not where you find your value and your purpose. You see, none of that means anything when it comes to value and worth and purpose. We are one in Christ Jesus. When it comes to Christ Jesus, we are all co-heirs with Christ. We are all of equal standing. Men, women, black, white, slave, free, bosses, employers, different ethnicities. Okay, that that is clear in Galatians 3.28. But now, let's just use some common sense. Think about different places in life. Uh, think about, for example, building a house. You, you, when you build a house, you have to have someone that's in charge and, and setting up schedules, making sure people show up at the right time, making sure work proceeds. Whether it's a company or an, or an army, you have to have people in charge. You have to have people fulfilling their role, roles, a football team. Everybody can't be the quarterback. Everybody can't play wide receiver. In any group, whether that group is an army or it's a, a, a professional sports team, whether it's a business or a church or a marriage or a family, you have to have a hierarchy of authority. The role is fulfilled so that the whole may prosper. This is even modeled for us in the Trinity. Philippians 2, 5 through 7 says this, "...let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus." who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal of God, with God. In other words, he was God, but he made himself of no reputation and took on the form of a servant of, or a bondservant. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. And when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will turn around and be subject to the Father who put all things under him. And here's for the purpose that God may be all in all. You see, that's the role is fulfilled so that the whole may prosper. This is the foundational principle of submission. And let's, again, we see it at virtually every facet of our life. We see this principle at work. It's what allows businesses and institutions and groups of all different kinds to function in an orderly manner. Without it, let's be honest, we'd have absolute chaos. Yet Peter and Paul in Ephesians 5 both feel it necessary to go beyond just a, a general call to submission. And they both specifically call out the institution of marriage. And they both specifically call out husbands and wives to act and behave in a specific sort of way in relating to one another. Now, here's the question. 
Why would they do that? Why would they feel it necessary to call out marriage, to call out the husband and wife and actually give them commands and say, this is what you should do? Well, here's why. Because what they're going to ask us to do is not natural. You see, the fact is, as men and women, we have a problem, a very fundamental problem. And to understand this problem, we need to go back to the Garden of Eden. We have to go back to the very beginning. We have to go back to see what happened. What We, we had this God-designed relationship that sin came in and corrupted, this relationship between a man and a woman. So, let's start here. Before sin entered the picture, what was the woman's role? Well, it tells us in Genesis 2.18, And the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So, so the woman was created for the man as a helper as a, or as a helpmate. Now, this was fine for a while, and then this little thing called sin entered the picture. And after sin enters the picture, God places a curse on the woman and the man. We see this in Genesis 3.16. And this curse hits right at the heart of the relationship between the man and the woman. The Scripture says, To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now that statement, your desire shall be for your husband. What does that mean? It's kind of an odd statement. And it has absolutely nothing to do with physical desire. Nothing at all. To understand what this means, we have to actually go to the story of Cain and Abel. And in that story, God uses the exact same words. Now, we all know the story of Cain and Abel. There's two brothers, the sons of Adam and Eve, and they bring their, their sacrifices to God. And uh, Abel brings, a, a, of the, brings an animal, a lamb, a, a sheep, something like that, and, and, and that, that sacrifice is accepted. But Cain brings some vegetables. He brings some fruit of the ground, and God rejected that sacrifice. Genesis 4.17 says this, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you don't do well, now watch what he said, Sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now see, that is clear what that means. It's referring to sin's desire to dominate Cain, to control Cain. That's what God is saying. Sin is at the door. It wants to dominate you. It wants to control you, but you should rule over it. Now, let's go back to Genesis 3.16. To the woman, he said, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. You see, this is referring to the fact that as part of the curse, as part of the fall, as part of sin, this woman will rebel against her role. And she will attempt to dominate and control the man. And by the way, he shall rule over you. Well, that's part of the curse as well. You see, the man is, is given uh, in his natural state to, to overpowering the woman, to subduing the woman, to putting her under his thumb. But that was never 
ever God's original design. And we'll take a look at that part of the curse next week, but today we're focusing on the wife. And so you've got the fall of man, you've got the curse, and so begins the assault on marriage. By the time you get out of chapter 4, you've got polygamy. By chapter 16, we've got adultery, homosexuality in chapter 19, fornication in chapter 34, and incest and prostitution in chapter 38. You see, God designed marriage to be the very best that life has to offer. But sin has come in and warped the relationship between a man and a woman. And it it goes from from two people serving one another. A a relationship where that God intended to be just this wonderful display to a relationship where both people are trying to dominate and control each other. To a relationship where both people are trying to get their own way. Is it any wonder that marriages struggle? Is it any wonder that that most of the time it doesn't work? You see, the hope of a happy and fulfilled marriage is salvation. And here's the reason why. Number one, it restores a right relationship with God. Number two, it minimizes or mitigates the curse. We receive the Holy Spirit, and through the Holy Spirit, we are empowered to obey His Word. Now, that brings us to today's verses in First Peter. Now, before we go into these verses and we begin to unpack what Peter says, I want to give you one little warning here. 1 Corinthians 2.14. It says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. And they cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. You see, I went out and just did a quick Google search uh, this week, and I just googled "wife submit to husband," and I looked at some of the images, and this is what one, just one of the images that that came up. You see, this is the world's view of what we're going to be talking about today. This is the world's view of a wife submitting to her her husband, and um, a, as I said, they don't have the spirit. The Bible says they cannot understand what we are talking about. But let me tell you, we are not the world. We have the Spirit of God. And instead of you hearing, instead of you, if I back up, instead of you hearing this message today and getting this picture, I want you to hear today's lesson as a call to something strong and and beautiful and noble. And, and dignified, something worthy of a woman's highest spiritual and moral efforts. So let's get to the verses and see what Peter has to say. First Peter 3, 1, he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now, we have to start with that word likewise, which means in the same way. So he's referring to something that he's already said. In the same way as what I've said, I want you to do this. So let's back up a little bit to verses 18 to 23 so we can see what he was just talking about. He said, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For to this you've been called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. 
When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Likewise, likewise, in the same way, wives, be subject to your own husbands. In in the same way that a citizen submits himself or herself to the authority of the government. In, In the same way an employee is under the authority of an employer. In the same way that Jesus suffered unjustly and and didn't do anything except commit himself to God. Submit, wives, to your husbands. Now, there's a limit, of course, to what is fitting. And we've said this every single time. There's a a limit to what we submit to with the government. There would be a limit what we submit to with on the job. There's a limit to what would be fitting in the role of submission with a wife to a husband. But as I've said numerous times, we always want to just run to the exceptions. Questions always come up. Well, how far should I go? Let me tell you, your husband may be disobedient to God or completely indifferent to God. Your husband may be kind and unloving and uncaring. Your husband may be a failure to you. He may seem like a burden to you. He may be a complete disappointment to you. He may have made promises to you that he has not kept. And you find yourself unsatisfied with him and unsatisfied with your marriage. And you chafe under his authority. All the more reason, Peter says. Likewise, in the same way that Jesus endured unjust suffering, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, I want to just very quickly, I want to talk a little bit about spousal abuse because I think this is a, a, a something I need to touch on uh, very quickly. Colossians 3.19 tells a husband how to treat their wives as, as well as Ephesians 5. Paul says in Colossians, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Ephesians 5 says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her so a husband also to lo- ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Let me tell you, any man that does not do that, any husband that don't, does not do that, is disobeying the Word of God and therefore is sin. Okay, I want to make sure that's clear. If you're not obeying that to the best of your ability, that is sin. In addition, spousal abuse is a crime. Which means that if a, when a man expects his wife to just quietly accept that, he's asking her to participate in breaking both God's moral law as well as the state's civil law. And I think she has no responsibility to submit in that situation whatsoever. God Himself, we saw a few weeks ago, put government in place to keep order for the protection of the innocent. Romans 13.4 For he, talking about the king or the governor or the state, is an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So we should never uh, have a church that's pushing spousal abuse under the rug or trying to hide it or trying to convince a woman that she shouldn't report it. No, no, she should not have to submit to a man who is breaking God's moral law as well as the laws of the state. I want to just bring that out very quickly. Now let's go back to our passage. Peter says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now, I think that is incredibly important. That command is very specific. 
A wife is not called to be submissive to all men, only to her own husband. This is the man that she possesses. This is the man that belongs to her. You see, there is a uniquely fitting submission to your own husband that that is not fitting in relation to other men. Women as a group are are not made serfs to men. Men aren't elevated to some kind of ruling class over women. You never, ever see that in the Bible. But Scripture calls each woman to submit in particular to her own husband's headship in the context of the marriage and in the context of the family. A wife is is not a child that needs to be taken care of. She's not a slave that her husband uh, sits in an easy chair and issues commands. Marriage is much deeper, much more personal, much more intimate relationship than that. It's a a union, a partnership, a a mutual devotion. I, I mean, Peter emphasizes that truth. Your own husband, the one that you own, the one that you possess, Why wouldn't a wife willingly respond in submission to the one that is hers? You see, this is God's design for the role of a wife in marriage. It should be easy to do. It should be right and proper and appropriate and just as natural as breathing, except for this thing called sin, except for this thing called the curse, except for this selfish nature that lives in each side, inside of each one of us. And that makes it extremely difficult without the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to watch this morning what, what Peter does. I think this is absolutely amazing. Peter is going to give us a portrait of a Christian woman. Four things. He's going to call out the portrait of a Christian woman. And I want to show you at the end how this relates to submission. So let's first look at this, this portrait that he paints for us. And, and what we're going to see is that there are these strong roots within a Christian woman that produces the fruit of submission. Let me say that again. Peter wants us to see these deep, strong roots that a Christian woman has that then produces this beautiful fruit of submission. Number one, a Christian woman hopes in God. Look at verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. This is the deepest root of Christian womanhood. A Christian woman does not put her hopes in her husband, and she does not put her hopes in her looks. She puts her hope in God. Proverbs 31:25 says, "Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. Now, how how can she do that? How can she look ahead and laugh at the unknown? Because her hope is in God. You see, she looks away from the troubles and obstacles of life that that seem to, you know, what's going to happen around the corner and all that anxiety, and she focuses her attention on a God who is sovereign and a God who loves her. A sovereign God who loves her. You see, she knows her Bible, and she knows her God. She knows that God has ordained her life, that God has, is, is working all things for her good. She knows that He's always going to be with her. He's going to help her and strengthen her no matter what comes. You see, that is the deep, unshakable root of the Christian woman. Now, let me tell you, Peter is not just talking about any women. 
He's talking about Christian women. He's talking about holy women. He's talking about women who have been chosen, women who have been set apart to put their marriages on display, to put God on display through their marriages. Number two, a Christian woman triumphs over fear. 1 Peter 3, 5-6 through 6 says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. See, Peter it, it refers to these holy women of old, and then he kind of reaches in and pulls out Sarah, which of course was Abraham's wife, as an example. And he says, you are her daughters. You're in that, you're, you're cut from the same cloth, so to, so to speak, if you don't fear anything that is frightening. You see, this portrait of Christian womanhood is marked first by hope in God. And what grows out of that hope is fearlessness. You see, when you believe in a sovereign God who's absolutely in control of everything, and you believe that that God loves you so much that He sent His Son to die for you, that drives out all fear. Or or let's put it, if we can, a little more realistically. The daughters of Sarah fight the anxiety that tries to rise up in their hearts. They wage war on fear and they defeat it with the promises of God. You see, mature Christian women are not naive. They know that following Christ will mean suffering. They know that in this world, as Jesus said, you will have tribulation. They know that their husbands and their children are are sinners and not perfect and are going to cause them a a lot of issues. They, They know all that. They get all that. But you see, they stand on the promises of God. Promises like 1 Peter 3.14 that says, Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Or or, or scriptures like 1 Peter 4.19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator. You see, this is what Christian women do. They entrust their souls to a faithful Creator. They hope in God and they triumph over fear. Number three, a Christian woman focuses on the insight. Verses three through four. Let's look at verse three first. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. Now let me say this. There is no way here Peter means that all hairstyling is out the door. And there's no way that he means all jewelry is prohibited. That's not what he means. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because then all clothing would be excluded. Let's go back and look at that verse. He says the braiding of hair, the putting on of jewelry, or the clothing you wear. See, Peter doesn't mean to exclude all clothing you wear. Obviously, he doesn't mean that. See, he means something different. What he means here is Christian women focus their attention elsewhere. Look at verse 4. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. You see, a Christian woman's focus is on the inside. She exerts more effort and she's more concerned with being beautiful there than what she is on the outside. You see, when a woman puts her hopes in God, and not in her husband and not in her looks, but her hopes are in God, 
and she overcomes fear by the promises of God, you see, this has an effect on her heart. It gives her what Peter calls a gentle and a quiet spirit, an inner tranquility. Number four, a Christian woman submits to her husband. You see, first there was hope in God. And out of that hope in a sovereign God, a loving God, it brings a fearlessness, a lion-hearted courage in face of whatever the future may bring. And that leads to an inner tranquility, an inner peace, an inner beauty. And all of that expresses itself in the fruit of submissiveness to her husband. Verse 5, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves with the behavior of submitting to their own husbands. Now, I want to look in a minute at what submission is. But before I do, I want to look at what submission isn't. And I'm actually going to take all of the isn'ts from today's passage. Number one, submission does not mean that you have to agree with everything your husband says. Now, where do I get that from this passage? Well, if you go back and read it, there's a husband here who has one set of ideas about the world. He has one worldview that doesn't include God. And she has a completely different one. So submission can't mean that she has to agree with the way her husband thinks. This woman in this story thinks completely differently from her husband. Number two, submission does not mean leaving your brain or your will at the door. Here here is a woman in verses 1 through 6 who heard the gospel. She assessed the gospel. She thought it through and she chose Christ. Her husband, on the other hand, also heard the gospel. And the way we know that is because it, told, it tells us he disobeyed the word. So she thought it through. She chose Christ. He heard the gospel, thought it through, and he made a different choice. You see, she thought for herself and she acted for herself. Number three, submission does not mean avoiding every effort to change a husband. Listen, the whole point of this text is to tell a wife how to change her husband, how to win her husband. Paradoxically, it's instead of being through her words, it's through her actions. Submission is the strategy for changing him. Submission does not mean putting the will of the husband before the will of Christ. This text clearly teaches that this wife is a follower of Jesus, and she will not stop being a follower of Jesus. And that is always above and before Submission to her husband. You see, Sarah called Abraham Lord with a, and you'll notice in your text, it's a lowercase l. It's a, it's a term of respect. But the obedience she rendered Abraham is always qualified because her supreme allegiance is to her Lord with a capital L. Submission does not mean that a wife gets her personal spiritual strength primarily through her husband. Let me tell you, we'll learn next week a good husband should indeed be a source of strength to his wife. We'll, again, we'll cover that in detail next week. But when a husband's spiritual leadership is lacking, that doesn't mean a Christian wife is, is not strong. That doesn't mean that a Christian wife is bereft of strength. In fact, this, this passage in First Peter tells us exactly the opposite. You see, her hope and her strength is in God. And she hopes that one day her husband will join her there. Finally, 
Submission never means that a woman is to act out of fear. Let me tell you, submission is free, not coerced. When a Christian woman submits to her husband, she's doing it in freedom, not out of fear. So, that's what submission isn't. What is submission? Once again, taken from today's passage. Submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. It's a, if nothing else, it's a disposition. It's an inclination to follow your husband's leadership or to yield to his authority. It's an attitude that says, I want you to take the initiative. I'm glad when you take responsibility in our family. I need you to lead our family with love. A couple things before we close. What's at stake here? Ephesians 5, 31-32, Paul says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then Paul makes a statement that is unbelievable. He says this, This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it, talking about marriage between a man and a woman, refers to Christ and the church. You see, God has designed marriage to be a living drama, if you will, a a picture, a living picture of the relationship between Christ and His bride, the church. So ladies, look at it from that perspective. God intends a wife's submission to her husband to be a living illustration in front of the whole world of the church's submission to her God. What message are you sending to the world? What does your submission to your husband in your marriage, what does it say about the church's submission to Christ? By the way, I'll ask the same question next week of the husband's. A little bit different, but the same thing. What the, the way you're acting, the way you're behaving, the way you're fulfilling your role in your marriage, what does it say about Christ and the church's relationship? You see, when Christian men and women don't fulfill their roles, what is at stake is a distorted, corrupted picture of Christ and His bride being presented to the world. I'd say that's pretty important, wouldn't you? One final thought. And before we close, Proverbs 31, I mentioned it earlier. I'm going to read just a few verses out of this wonderful uh, chapter. It says, An excellent wife, who can find? She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also And he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. That is a virtuous woman. The Hebrew there, the word for virtuous, literally means a woman of valor. A a woman who hopes in God and is absolutely fearless. You see, at the core of this woman, cemented deep in her soul, is a simple and steadfast hope in God. And from the security of that hope in a God that is sovereign and a God that loves her, she fears nothing that is frightening, including 
the idea of submission. Folks, this is a woman that the world can't explain. This is a woman that the world can never understand. This is a woman who fulfills her role. She does it for the sake of her marriage. She does it for the sake of her family. And she does it for the sake of her God. Next week, we'll continue with Christian marriage and we'll turn to the role of the husband. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I, uh, I pray today as Your Word goes out that, uh, Holy Spirit, that You'll just have Your way. You'll just have Your way. That this won't... It is so difficult when we talk about these subjects for these things in our background, our prejudices, whatever the case may be, to just overwhelm the Word of God. I pray, God, You would just push all that aside. And I pray that what they will hear is the Word of God. Nothing more and nothing less. God, I pray for the women of River of Life that they'll be strong, virtuous women of valor. I pray, God, I, I just I, I pray for each and every one of them in their marriages. Father, if they have unbelieving husbands right now, God, I pray that you, your Holy Spirit would not let that husband rest, but would bring them to, a, to know them as I know you. Father, I have been so blessed in my life, both uh, to live 20 years with a mother that, that is a, a Proverbs 31 woman, and to live the last 37 years with a wife that is a Proverbs 31 woman. I have been so wonderfully blessed, as have my children and my grandchildren. God, I pray, I just pray that all the families in this church, all the families in this family, would be uh, in this group would be blessed like that. Move, Holy Spirit. Move in our midst, God. Take, take families that right now, marriages that are torn apart, God, and put them back together as only you can. And I ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.